Okay, so we have the results of Super Tuesday, or as as uh, Biden likes to call it, Super what? Super Thursday? Super? See, yeah, I voted on Super Thursday. <laughs> Super Thursday. Okay, great. Today's Thursday. It's like two days after the Super Tuesday thing. Anyway, uh, so very interesting information about that, that comes from this. First of all, everyone thought that Bernie Sanders was going to run away with this primary nomination. And, uh, you know, we didn't know either because who knows what, what causes the mind of the Democrats to tick. Um, it's, it's, it's really odd. On the other hand, it was very early on in the primary season. Biden did win very uh, handedly in South Carolina. And I think there was some momentum there as well. But more importantly, there was a rejection of this notion of socialism. Because that's what, I mean, to his credit, he's bare naked about his socialist agenda. And it's, it's nonsensical, of course, but nevertheless, there it is. It's bare naked. And I think that there are plenty of moderates out there that simply reject this notion of uh, anything anti-American. If you were to ask Bernie Sanders today or any time, um, sir, do you understand that your socialist enterprise would basically undermine everything that, that uh, created the foundation of America, free market, God-based uh, capitalism? So, first of all, you don't believe in free markets, right? <laughs> uh, you certainly don't believe in God, and you certainly don't believe in capitalism. Uh, so, which, which, I mean, how is it that you could possibly say that you are somehow pushing forward the American agenda, right? And what is the American agenda to you? You just don't like it. You, you decide, I want America to be like the former Soviet Union or, you know, uh, Venezuela or Cuba. Yeah. I mean, apparently, what, it's not clear what you would like it to be. Now, now, he says he'd like it to be like Denmark. Well, Denmark is not a socialist country. You can say it has socialist institutions, but so do we, right? I mean, Obamacare is an attempt at a socialist institution. And uh, it doesn't work well. Uh, it's very different than Denmark in any event. But Denmark is, in many ways, more capitalist than we are. So the fact that you're rushing to use them as an example, that's interesting to me. Secondly, what has Denmark produced lately? I, you know, qu query. Just want to query that. It's, uh, you know, if, if you want to just kind of continue on for the next uh, 100, 200,000 years without any innovation whatsoever, okay, we got it. Everyone will be miserable in the process, but everyone will have the exact same iPhones, the same kind of cars, the same kind of computers, and so forth. Uh, fine, be my guest. Socialism doesn't work, we know that, and, and in many ways that will echo in our late, the later part of this podcast. But I just find it very interesting that it is so clear that the Biden victories that we had on Super Tuesday. How many states were there? 14? 13 like or 14 yeah. with some territories. Right. So... He won like nine of them or... Yeah, he won... I think he won 10 and Biden, and uh, Bernie Sanders won four. Now, he won four important ones, one of them being California. But nevertheless, uh, as a practical matter, uh, Biden really... You know, he was the winner of Super Tuesday. You can say that very comfortably. And he'll probably continue to win some states there. And, and I think Bernie Sanders is, is going to be rejected ultimately at this point. I think we have enough states now to kind of get the flavor of what the, the country is thinking. Yeah, and also Bloomberg was 
in in play in California and because of his massive advertising. Oh, uh, I have a legal question. Can I sue you? Can I hire you to sue Michael Bloomberg to recoup all the value I lost in my life having to sit through years worth of his commercials the last six months? <laughs> I mean, I, I just think that uh, I think I have grounds. Yes. You know, there, yes. there are grounds here. But anyway, <laughs> you wasted my time, buddy. Right. <laughs> it's big time. Anyway, with Bloomberg, in that, those victories uh, were surprising to me because Bloomberg was still there. Yeah. And although the, the guy was a terrible candidate, that advertising obviously got something. So Bloomberg, of all things, finished second in California, last I saw. Well, he did. He did pretty well in California a, relative to what yeah. you expected. So, had he had he stepped out earlier, Biden would have won California. Right. Because so it means that in the Democrat Party, and I give them massive credit for this in their voter base, there's a huge rejection of socialism, which is, I mean, it, it's totally contradictory to all the cultural messages we've been bombarded with no, for no, the last it, couple it, of years. It, well, it's the same thing as transgenderism, right? Yes. I mean, how many? Tra- we talk about this all the time. How many? Transgenders are there really out there, and you know they're very vocal, and so they seem to be everywhere. But in fact, they're not. It's it's a little bit like the the scene out of Three Amigos, you know, <laughs> where they all dress up as the Three Amigos, but there's really only three three amigos. amigos. Yeah, <laughs> it's it's smoke and mirrors at the end of the day. You know, it's that's what they were doing. God, I love my three. I, as I said, you can learn everything you need to learn about life from The Simpsons and the Three Amigos. Okay, yeah. and then all humor. Uh, you know, can be found in airplane. You know, uh, you know, just like, just like this 613 mitzvot basically explain all the things you need to know about life, and has has an aspect in life in every way. Um, so so too with uh, three amigos. Okay, well, I've I've gone too far with uh, bleeding this metaphor. Now, socialism, as we know, doesn't work, and nevertheless, the. The crowd that Bernie Sanders was able to get was extremely vocal, extremely uh, engaged in the process. And so you had all these Bernie signs, and everyone's very excited about it, and Bernie's the man, and so on like that. But yeah, you know, for each of those Bernie supporters, they were extremely uh, involved and, and, and extremely enthusiastic. But it turns out that that's just a very small group. It's like the Bolsheviks in Russia. They were, what, 6% of the population at best. And then they eventually took it over. So we have to be very careful. But they certainly didn't speak for the entire country. We have a democracy, uh, a republic in particular, and uh, it just, the people spoke. And they said that uh, we reject this guy, Bernie Sanders. And instead, they they, they ran to the only person that seemed to be a viable alternative. Uh, His name is Joe Biden. (laughs) Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let me just bounce those words back at you just for my own pleasure. Yes. So they ran to what they perceived was the only viable alternative, Joe Biden. Right. Hold on, hold on. (laughs) Sorry. All right. Um, We got got, got you. Sorry, that gave me a rush of of pleasure to hear. Well, the funny thing about that is that now that Joe Biden has basically commanded Super Tuesday— uh, they basically say, wow, you know, it just goes to show how powerful Joe Biden is. No, it, it doesn't show. It's, it's like, you know, two kindergarten kids running against each other, and one, of course, is going to win. And then you don't say, well, that, that means he's going to outrun uh, Jesse Owens or the equivalent of Jesse Owens, a f- famous uh, track athlete. Um, no, he's, they still got to go against this major sprinter named Donald Trump. You, yeah, you, 
Joe Biden is going to do better than Bernie Sanders would. I'm confident about that. If he if he is the nominee, it looks like he will be the nominee. But whatever, Joe Biden is more moderate than Bernie Sanders. But that is not saying much. He might as well be a you know at least Bernie Sanders was honest about his socialism. Yeah, their policies are probably exactly the same. It's just one guy was honest with you about right. telling what they'd be. Okay, so here's what's interesting. Also, as you know, we followed uh, in the past states the voting for Donald Trump because although Donald Trump is essentially uncontested uh, in the Republican primary, uh, people still vote. And they, and he got how many, he got more votes than Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden combined uh, in this primary. Now, you may say, well, that's because he's the only man on the ticket. Yes, that's correct, but that only goes to show, but like I said, Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden combined, they were the only real viable people in, in, the, in this race. Uh, and for Trump to do better than that, he, he actually did almost the same amount of votes as all three, all the um, candidates combined in the Democratic field. So Biden, Warren, Bloomberg, and uh, Sanders. I, I mean, it's really quite quite uncanny. What it means is there's a lot of attention to to uh, Donald Trump. They want to show their support. I'm such a person. Now, yeah, and I got to vote for him the first time the other day, so I was. Uh, it, it felt good. It yeah, felt good. It felt, it felt, oh, that's right. That's right, because you didn't vote for him yes. the very first time. All right, yes. yeah, it does feel good. I'm glad about that. Yeah. Uh, and, and I'm look. I voted for him, as you know, but with not much gusto, gusto. Because, uh, you know, it was an easy decision. I, I ain't, I, whatever I can do to vote against Hillary Clinton, I'll do it. Uh, so that was the, the primary reason why I voted for Donald Trump. I would have otherwise sat it out like you did. But now I'm, I'm just so enthusiastic about Trump. I, I, I really do think he might very well be the best president we've ever had. Um, he is truly fantastic. It's the, the leadership that he shows, the, the optimism and love of this country that he's shown. It's really remarkable. Just how quickly he reacts to things on the human level yeah. makes you know he's on our wavelength. Uh, you know, yeah. you're going to talk about yeah. it on your Sunday show. The comments that and a lot of our podcast listeners will have probably heard this by the time they listen to this. The comments Chuck Schumer made about the Supreme Court. Trump was condemning those within like a, a perfect time frame of it. Right. He was on top of it. He, he his reaction was blistering, and there was none of this. You know, you know when you hear statements out of the Middle East about like a peace process, and every syllable of the statement is sanitized parsed and market out. tested. Yeah. Parsed, parsed. This was beautiful human reaction. That's what we got with this guy. Well, and, people people really know. like his uh, genuineness, if that's the best word. Yeah. I think that we're looking for it, uh, and that's what it is. And and people really want to show their appreciation to Donald Trump. They really do. You know, it's it's almost like the Beatles when when he comes out and does a rally. I mean, these rallies you don't hear, you never heard about these Obama rallies, for example, right? I mean, he had efforts to get people rallied up, especially during an election. But Trump has been doing rallies since day one, since his presidency. Uh, I mean, after the election, even in uh, February, March of 2017, right after he was, uh, you know, inaugurated, uh, he was doing these. These rallies and people wanted to be there, and it, they only grew in size, not diminished. And right. now, with the season coming on, the campaign season, it's even more great, and people are just thrilled to be in his presence. And, and no, I'm not saying he's a god. I'm not saying I'm not equating that whatsoever. 
He didn't say he's a musician. Right. Just because you made a like the Beatles. Right. You know? I'm not saying those things at all. It's and funny how we have wait, to qualify wait, this yeah, for no, the no, Democrats wait, with, out With there. Democrats, you always have to say what you're not saying. Right? Right. It's like, okay, here's the universe of things that I'm saying. I'm I saying didn't this. say it's okay to own slaves. Right. right. <laughs> I didn't say yeah. it's okay to round up the Jews. Right. That's, that's what they accuse right. Dennis Prager exactly. of, right? Okay. Uh, like, yeah, exactly. Dennis Prager knows what I'm talking about. Uh, you know, he had said something about, like, you know, each spouse in a relationship has a duty to think about the sexual needs of the other, right? Now, traditionally, usually the woman tends to be as less interested in sex than a man is. And he was basically saying, look, you know, give it up a little bit <laughs> just just for the sake of a happy marriage because it's, you know, you may not be in the mood, but you'll get into yeah, the mood. and he needs it. Right. And so how, how was it parlayed? Oh, Dennis Prager is advocating marital rape. Okay, okay, I got gotcha. you. Yeah, go. the most the most reasonable guy in the entire talk radio business is advocating for that. Yeah, right. sure. Yeah, and so likewise, when it came to American history, which of course had slavery uh, in the you know before 1865, uh, he said America was a great country. Uh, you know, and the founding fathers had great ideas and such like that. Yes, there was slavery and that doesn't mean that it was a good thing, but nevertheless, blah, 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 and we fought against slavery. How did they interpret it? They said that, that uh, Dennis Prager loved slavery, that it was a good thing or that it was not a bad thing. Oh, my God. It's like, so again, you have to anticipate all the ways that they're going to interpret it, which might sometimes be 180 degrees from what you actually said. Right. And, and, and there you are saying, no, I, I, I'm not a racist. You know, I mean, it's weird. No, I never belonged to the KKK. No, I, I mean, all the things that we, maybe we should have like a, a preamble before every podcast. We, the disclosure. All the disclosures. Here are yeah. the things we will not be saying <laughs> during, during this entire podcast, right? But then they'll say it when we said we won't be yeah, saying oh, it. Yeah, oh, then they'll parse it yeah. out. Yeah, exactly right. Anyway, so I, I don't even know where we were at this point. But I can You're tell you. You're talking about the, 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 the rally enthusiasm yes. that Trump is garnering. The ra- yeah, and, and the godlike sort of thing. And, of course, he's not at all God. On the contrary, that's part of the reason why they love him is that he is a leader and, and a leader of people. And that he himself loves God, and he knows that God is in charge. And he says it over and over again. I love that about him. Um, And because of that, I admire him. If he were to be a man that, uh, you know, was, uh, you know, somehow... Like uh, Michael Bloomberg? Hold on. Hold on. If he were the kind of man that was, uh, you know, rallying the sense of that he is somehow perhaps a god himself, like you and I would run away from him because that's crazy. Right. His name would be Michael Bloomberg, right? <laughs> or, or, or Obama. You know, Obama. Obama really thought it got, it let that get to his head. Yeah. Uh, he's a smart surrender. He will lead us throughout the thick yeah. and thin and everything else. I'm better at policy than my policy people. I'm better at he's talking better than, than my he's talking better than people. everyone. Yeah. And he, and he literally believed this crap. You know the, the you know the best I'm example. I'm a better woman than my wife. You know. The best example uh, of, of a similar leader, and I don't mean it because it's not a perfect analogy. And this will be misinterpreted, so I'm going to make make clear that I'm not trying to make it the same. But Julius Caesar was really loved by his people. There's a reason why Rome let him be the emperor. They hated the Senate. They hated the corruption that was going on. Now, I don't want Trump to become emperor of the United States or king of the United States or anything else like that. I'm not saying that. But there are many aspects of Julius Caesar. He was a fantastic military leader and a fantastic emperor in the sense that he was able to understand that the will of the people 
He knew his soldiers, almost all of them. I mean, an amazing number of them by name. Yeah, we're talking hundreds, if not thousands, of soldiers. He, yeah, he was in the field with them. He worked with. And them. these are Rome. These are Latin names that are a lot of yeah, U.S. endings. Yeah, they, they, all not, say, they all rhyme. They're not John. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so, so it's really quite remarkable. The, the uh, but he had that uncanny ability to relate to people and what they were hearing, what they needed to hear, and, and he he actually listened and he actually cared. Those are the, the qualities of any great leader. Alexander the Great was the same, right? If, these, if you don't have that, you cannot be a good leader. Now, you might be a, a great dictator in the sense of like uh, King Jong-un uh, in terms of uh, just distorting everything and suppressing your people dramatically and live, you know, uh, leading a life by fear. But that's, that wasn't Julius Caesar's style. He preferred to get the admiration of his soldiers who in turn were able to, uh, to support his leadership. Okay, so Donald Trump, in that one sense... The leadership sense, he's the same. Yeah. He is, we, and Caesar never thought of himself as a god. He didn't say, you will make a god out of me. The only, uh, anyway, it's really remarkable, the similarities. There is nothing like that on the Democrat side. Nothing. And Joe Biden, as we talked about before, uh, and I feel very sorry for him in this one area, only this one area, because we could talk about his history, and every decision that he's ever made was a bad decision. Every policy ever he was behind was a, a bad policy. He was wrong historically on everything. But other than that, he's a great senator, right? Fabulous. Yeah, Fabulous. And, and vice president. Yeah. And, and now he's a gaffe machine, as we all know. And it's very embarrassing for him. And it's also exhibiting, he also exhibits a tremendous amount of uh, dementia. The man has dementia. Yeah, real dementia. It's, not, oh, you know, let's insult him and call him a derogatory uh, word for dumb. No, right. it's really, you can tell watching that the... Oh, and everyone's... Like, like a boxer who's been punched too much. Right. There's something broken up there. Yeah, and it's sad. I'm not... I'm not look, uh, we, we all have relatives that are older that, that may suffer from dementia. Almost everyone I know has some relative, maybe not their direct parents, but maybe an aunt or an uncle, grandfather, that has dementia. And so I'm not... At all, making fun of it. On the contrary, it's very sad. I just don't think they should be running for president. Right. Okay? Or, or even more, you don't think a major political party uh, um, control uh, group, you know, the people in charge of the major political party, should be putting that particular man with that particular right. affliction in that particular position. Well, yeah, exactly. It's like putting. Like, I feel sorry if some if a man goes blind. I feel sorry for him. But you know what? You can't be a pilot anymore. <laughs> right. All right. It's just that's just the way it's going to be. I mean, you just can't do that. <laughs> oh, right? God. But it's true. I mean, yeah. that's what they want. They want a man who clearly is, is exhibiting dementia to be their, their leader, and, and they got to be biting their nails. On the one hand, they got Bernie Sanders, who's not suffering from dementia, but he might as well have demented policies. And another man who, you know, doesn't appear to have demented policies, although I think he does, uh, and who's clearly suffering from dementia. It's a really Hobson choice. And this is, these, are, these are the two giants of the Democrat Party that they're advancing as the nominee against Donald Trump. Look, I, I don't know how, how to explain this other than to say the following. Uh, and I bring this back to 1992. During the time of 1992, it came out with a different result, of course, and I, I don't want to go there. But there was logic in the way the Democrats thought back then, and that was, hey, this George H.W. Bush guy, he not only is running very nicely on the coattails of 
of uh, Ronald Reagan's great economy, but also just prosecuted a war in Iraq. They did it beautifully with all the support of all these nations and was in and out and we're done and everything's great. He could not have had a higher popularity at the time. He did everything right. And nobody wanted to run against him, no, no serious player. And so you had all these kind of wackadoodles, and one of them was named Bill Clinton, who decided to run just because, hey, you know, nobody else is running. Yeah, Let's see Mario what happens. Cuomo wasn't, the, you know, this governor, that right. governor. And then because there was a recession, yes, but that wasn't the main reason. The main reason was a man named Ross Perot, who uh, interjected himself. And because of that, um, Clinton didn't win the majority. And people forget this. He didn't win a majority either time, 90, 92 or 96. But Ross Perot came in, uh, and that effectively allowed uh, Bill Clinton to have a plurality of votes. And in America, we don't have a runoff vote. It's just the person who gets the most votes, period, uh, among anybody who's actually running. Yeah, won the Electoral College in X number of states. And because he didn't have to clear the Electoral College number you do in a two-person race, it right. was a three-person race, he won on much smaller numbers. Right. You know? That was it. So the same thing is, you know, I think applying here in, in 20, uh, 2020, you have what I think people realize is a really strong president who is likely going to win re-election, and it's already difficult as an incumbent anyway, to, to fight an incumbent, that is. And why would you, as any, an intelligent Democrat uh, senator, congressman, or candidate of any kind, say, I'm going to throw my hat in the ring because I think I can beat Donald Trump. It's not a good bet. It's just, it's just bad. You have, to, you have to hope, it's a Hail Mary, that the, the economy will totally tank or that there be some sort of horrific exposure, like we talked about before, pedophilia or otherwise, on the part of Donald Trump in order for you to win against Donald Trump. Or right? a lot of vote stealing. Yeah, I mean, a lot it's, it's just deal. too many things that would have to happen. Yes. You're a better bet if you are, regardless, right? Even if, even if Trump were a, a weaker candidate, and he's not, he's an incredibly strong candidate, even if he were just a you know, run-the-mill incumbent president, um, let's say a, uh, a Jimmy Carter, it's still a bad bet to run against an incumbent president. Your best bet is always to wait. Until you know, there's an open seat, as it were, like it was in 2008, like it was in 2016. That's the time to run. So the better ones are going to run during that time. The ones who are not taking it as a, just a shot in the dark. Anyway, the, the result is Bernie Sanders and Joe Biden. Joe Biden looks like he's going to win. Um, but you know what? There's, it's certainly his to lose. He'll say an incredible number of gaffes and everything else. So you, you'll see. Anyway, it is the rejection... Of socialism, and it, it it surprised even us. Pleasantly surprised us. Yeah. I think it I think it uh, pleasantly surprised some in the media because they were concerned about Bernie Sanders being the nominee, but they really thought that socialism was gaining hold. Uh, and there's a there's a part of many of every Democrat, every liberal, every lefty in particular, that is just ever so thrilled about the idea of socialism, because that's where they really are heading, right? That's where they that's where they want to be. They want to get to several steps. Uh, along the way to slowly, slight, slowly socialize this institution, then this institution, and so forth. But ultimately, they want to be a socialist country, you know, like Norway, which is not a socialist country, but in their mind's eye, they want to be that, that country. Okay, good, God, good for you. stupid. They, they really are Jesus. incredibly stupid. Mind-boggling. But it's a little bit like what the Palestinians 
are trying to do with Israel, right? We already had an episode called The Democrats or the Palestinians the, are... Yeah. I'm just reminding you. Yeah. <laughs> as, as brilliant of an idea as that, we already did that one. I know, I know. <laughs> but, but what I'm saying now in particular is that the Palestinians, they're very, very smartly are saying, well, we just want this, we just want that, we just, you know, give us this, give us that. Sliver by sliver, yeah. Sliver, and, and that's the way they do it. it. For example, nobody gives credit to Israel for, you know, just retreating from Gaza. Now, Gaza, we've had, uh, I think, three or four wars with Gaza alone, uh, and it was just a terrible decision to pull out of Gaza. I just, I, that is one of the, you know, terrible mistakes that Ariel Sharon did. He was a fantastic leader, but there you go. Uh, and then they want to make the same mistake with the West Bank, you know, a lot of people. No, it doesn't work out well, okay? Just don't do it. This sliver by sliver, as you say, and I think that's a good phrasing, um, it's, the idea is incremental. But if one day you simply told the Palestinians, hey, guess what? Israel's all yours. The, formal, the country formerly known as Israel, it's all yours. Just take it from the river to the sea. It's just like your song wanted, right? They'd say, thank you. They wouldn't say, oh, no, we just want to go slow and steady. Yeah. You know, let the Jews stay in Israel. No, they want the whole thing. And that's what Bernie Sanders basically offers. He basically says, hey, look, you want the whole thing? Let's just go there. I'm just, you know, let's, let's not fool each other. Yeah. Let's just talk about the elephant in the room. Let's just do this already. Yeah. We know where we want to end up. Why don't we just call ourselves a socialist country and be done with it? Yeah. But they ran into one inconvenient thing that the Democrats have hated for generations. Voters. Yeah. Oh, they you know? hate voters. They hate, they voters. hate voters. And they call it democratic socialism. And, I, you know, it's so fun to get in arguments about this on Facebook and otherwise. They really believe such a thing as democratic socialism. And as I said on a recent tweet, I mean, democratic socialism is like promiscuous virginity. There's no such thing. They are completely at odds with each other. You, you, what in your mind's eye? I mean, Alexandria Ocasio-Cortez talks about democratic socialism all the time, and she mocks people for not recognizing that that's what they want. Let me see what that looks like. Okay, so let's say you think that we should have these massive socialized programs, okay? Meaning we wildly hike up the tax rate, we take over all the universities, forgive all the debt. Yeah, and seize course, all the private property and distribute it to each person as a house right. or and, at and, a apartment no, yeah, or we, we build all sorts of hospitals that are now government-run hospitals. Everything's like the VA. There's no privatized uh, medical care and so forth and so on. And, of course, there's no private institutions for education. It's all public. Okay, yeah, right. And, so, and, so, so, wait, wait. You do this as a... Okay, so you, the president does this, right? Maybe he wants that. I get it. And he, he has... He still has to go through this Congress thing and say, look, I propose this idea. N nobody's going to say yes to that. Right. Right. So how are you going to get that first of all? And then there's a Supreme Court thing. And then uh, don't forget there's this one other backstop. It's called the people. Yeah. You know, oh, oh okay. So well, that's the Democratic just because I voted for you, Bernie, because you pointed your finger like this and went, duh, 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 doesn't mean I'm going to be amenable to you. When there's a knock at my door and they say, uh, you're going to have to vacate your property, we're seizing it for this person. Right. But I paid for this. Right. Well, exactly you know? right. So, so that's one problem they have. The, the actual, I mean, they, again, they don't think things through. They never have. So the idea, they have this notion of democratic socialism, but, but you're not fooling anybody. We know that it can't possibly work. So it's called, it's Bernie, like calling up benevolent tyranny. You know? Bernie has to go ahead and get the approval of Congress and the Senate. 
and uh, before all this stuff happens. And even then, the, like you said, the voters can, in the, in the midterms, say, you know what? We don't feel like that. Okay? And don't forget, I mean, look, let's look at Obamacare. They couldn't even get Obamacare you know, through. It's, it's going to be reversed. It's a, essentially a non-entity right now. Yeah, they did not, to recall, they didn't even pass it the right way. It's a spending bill, but it originated in the Senate. And, right. you know, the point is, to even make it law, they had to finagle it. And sooner or later, it dies in a court. But, you know? but that's, that's not even what I'm saying. I'm just, I mean, just use an example. And Obamacare, although it's the biggest institution, health care, of course, it's still one, only one part of our economy. And even that was a disaster. The only way it could work is if the, you know, the Democrats control the House, control the Senate, and of course had the White House, which happened to be in uh, 2008 to 2010. And uh, then they ramrodded it through. Not a single Republican voted for it. Uh, some Democrats voted against it. But nevertheless, they had enough votes to, to get this through. What happens... You know, in 2010, when the Republicans now say, well, we want to undo it. I mean, that's the way democracy works, and they don't get that. Socialism can only work when you have a tyranny. That's the only way. So so everyone has to be on board with the program. Look what happened with the bullet train, right, in California. The idea was, hey, this is really important for for the state. And guess what? The people said, this sucks. We don't want to spend this kind of money. And they pulled the levers out of that. And so we wasted a lot of money in the process. And we're not going to get a bullet train. So, boom, that's it. Done. Thank you. End of story. That's the way it's going to be with so-called Democrat socialism. Not one country that you can point to, first of all, that you, you see, seem to think is a good role model, whether it's Denmark or Norway or Sweden, uh, actually is a socialist country in the same way that you think it is. But secondly, not one of them um, is able to effectuate what you want to effectuate. So, so how does it, you have to have a dictatorship in order to make this work? Yeah, like Venezuela or Cuba or North right. Korea. Those are the and you know the the age old question I always have about these socialists is why do you try to reinvent the wheel in a country unwilling to have one hundred percent buy in? Why don't you go to those those socialist utopias where everyone is happily accepted? Yeah, they're not. Right. You know, there's a lot of miserable people in North Korea. But why don't you just move there, uh, Ocasio Cortez? Why don't you just move there, Bernie? Yeah. I, I, you know, they already have it there. You'll have a lot less work to do. But no, that's not the plan. The plan is to destroy. Things that aren't socialist, not to go and make what currently is socialist operate more efficiently. Isn't that interesting? So frustrating. It's it really fun. is. It's frustrating because you know it's so th- evil that, that there. Are, you see that the evil people can't do what they are doing without the fooling of those who actually imbibe this nonsense. So uh, you get you get at different extremes. On the one hand, you get. The Bernie Sanderses of the world and uh, Bill Ayers and George Soros and o- Obama, too, who clearly know what their agenda is, which is to destroy America from within. Yeah. There is no doubt in my mind, including Obama. I said that because yeah. I've now changed my tune on this, as you know, many years ago. It, it is the, the pattern of his behavior is such that everything he does is so destructive. You have to eventually conclude that his, his main mission is to destroy. OK, that's that's it's simple, right? Um, now, and that's on the one end. And then the other hand, you have the fools, even those fools who are in power, like Ocasio-Cortez. I think that she actually believes this crap. Oh, yeah. Okay, but so you, the, the evil guys, the ones that Soros is slash 
uh, Bernie Sanders and so on, they, they know they can't do without the Ocasio-Cortezes. They need the fools. That's what they need. And they, they buy this stuff. And the way that they've created Ocasio-Cortezes is that they don't know anything about history. They've been told everything about equality and such, and they've misunderstood the whole message. But there you have it. And that's the way they do it. So Ocasio-Cortez, that, that, it makes me sad that she believes this stuff. It makes me sad that anybody believes this stuff. Um, but you just, you just have to ask, you know, where has it ever worked? Um, and it's not good enough to say, well, it just was never applied correctly. Because, and if they do, then you say, okay, how do you apply correctly? Just, you know, go ahead, you know, genius, tell me. Because the only way it's ever been applied is in the most destructive way imaginable possible. That's it. So, you know, they, they talk about existential threats, right? And we're going to get into a new topic about it. They talk about existential threats, such as global warming and Donald Trump himself, okay? But they, the existential threat that they're actually posing is coming from within their own ranks, which is the, the destruction of America. That is the existential threat. And, and if you don't see it, then you're a fool, just like Ocasio-Cortez is. All right, I want to move on to a different area, but it is related to what we're talking about. This notion about um, the things that we never understand um, until we, we get there. So what am I talking about? I'm talking about, on a very kind of micro level, talk about all these women who, and, and some men for that matter, but mostly women, who decide to delay having babies until they're 34, 35. You know, they got their careers yeah, running. I can't, I can't have it all. I'll do the career first, and then I'll breed when I'm real ready for it. That's right. Super duper ready. And then they realize, you know, that, that they can't pop out these babies that they once thought they could. Yeah. Can Not I say even the two. from raising Arizona? Um, they suddenly find that his seed can find no purchase within their rocky insides. <laughs> right? Okay, yeah, all right. You got it. Remember that line? <laughs> yeah, no, and it's, it's such a, it's so difficult for these couples. Why would you want to put yourself through that? And they're, they're fed the lie that, yeah, you can wait, you can freeze your eggs, you can do this, you can do that. No, you can't. It turns out that, at least good for this century, uh, it's not really feasible. Maybe in the 22nd century, you'll be able to have a child when you're 60 years old. Who knows, okay? But good for now, it's an extremely agonizing process. And you might be able to have one kid, okay, after many $20,000 uh, payments to uh, your, whatever you call it, the obstetrician or whoever the guy that... Yeah, the fertility experts. Fertility experts, experts yeah. yeah. Good luck, you'll be wasting a lot of money. And, it's, and the agony associated with it, because they discover, hey, look, they're, they're going about, they're just about to go over the cliff, fertility-wise, and the anxiety to wonder, is this going to be the one that takes? Is this going to be the one that takes? I mean, it must be awful. And I, we know a lot of couples, you and I, who've gone through that process. And yet, for each one of them, they've been told by their mothers, by their sisters, by their teachers and otherwise... You wait until you get your career running. It doesn't make sense for you to have kids until you are ready to have the kids because of a big financial burden, blah, blah, blah. And there they are. But constantly, Ari, and it pains me so much. You know, I'm 56 years on the planet right now, and I, I just, I've seen this story play out time and time again. I mean, and now I'm talking every once in a while to a, a younger woman who's, let's say, 24, 25, 
And she's, you know, whatever. She's working her way up the ranks in law school or business school or whatever it is. And I, I'm just curious. I say, you know, when do you plan to have kids? Are you interested in having a family? Are you interested in having kids? Oh, I think so. Yeah, I see that in my horizon. Okay, when do you think you're going to start trying to, try to have kids in the first place? Oh, you know, um, once I'm ready. You know, when's, when's ready? Well, you know, I, gotta, I want to be partner in a law firm, which is, you know, 10 years from, from then. So there will be 34. All right. And they're worried about how that might impact their ability to have a job, a career. Unbelievable. And it, it really is unbelievable. Unbelievable. And I say, do, do you understand that it'll be really difficult to have children at that point? No, but I want to have my career first. Yeah, and, no, there's all sorts of things. Uh, sperm donors, in vitro. But, they, you know, but these are the same, the same information funneling process that taught them that abortions are basically like getting a manicure. Have right. also told them, oh well, this is no big deal too. Right. You know, no one told them about the pain. They they might as well have been told, you know, that chemotherapy thing, no big deal. Right, you get it's cancer, you get chemo, no yeah, big deal. Yeah, six months of uh, sitting around with this chemical and you're fine. Yeah, exactly. You'll get over it. Yeah. Uh, no, it, you'll it, even it, lose some weight. You'll look great. <laughs> oh yeah. my god. But you're but okay. You're you're right about that. But it's also similar to the socialism argument we just of mentioned, course. and that's why I brought it up. The socialism argument is like, oh, it sounds so nice and rosy. We yeah. can have this, this new way of doing things. But they don't actually think about the process. And so they clearly either don't really prioritize having kids or they believe this blatant lie that they can have kids at 34, 33 even. It's, I, I just don't understand it. Now, if I'm a young woman, uh, at, going back to that woman who's 23, 24, I just, I don't get it, and I'm speaking to the young ladies out there. Talk to the other ladies there who did wait. You must have some friends who are seven, ten years older than you. Just talk to them. Is it a good idea for me to wait? Yeah, specifically talk to the ones who waited who are still struggling to have their first child. Yeah. Or have gotten the bad news, uh, honey, uh, you probably are... Better adopt, and then ask the people. And Feeney and I, uh, we know some friends like this who waited and are now going the adoption route, and it ain't easy. No. There are not a lot of babies out there that are available. No, it's a, it's, it's a very, very sad. Very it's heartbreaking. We had a friend who uh, finally got a foster child, and uh, there's a like time window you have to go through before the foster mother can choose to take their child back. At the eleventh month, you know, last minute. She chose to take it back. It's heartbreaking. heartbreaking, of course. Heartbreaking. No, you don't want to go through this this madness. And and look, in my book, uh, The Rise of the Sex Machines, they, we talk a lot about how uh, the, the the information is out there, right? Tremendous amount of information. And I and I talk about all these sexual diseases and such. And it, it's basically nature is yelling at you, saying, "Don't do this crap," right? And nature is also yelling at us to say, "Ladies." You're not going to be able to have kids after a certain age, okay? You've got to start having your first kid at the age of, you know, 27, 28 at the latest. Really, don't, don't push it beyond that. It's, you're making a big mistake. Childbirth is like professional football. It's a young man's game. There you go. Oh, I like right? that. Yeah. <laughs> and I was going to say that about sports, but I'll use that one with the football stuff. You know, if, if, a, if a young college athlete who's in football, using your, your sport, um, said, hey, I want to be a pro 
football player. He wouldn't say to himself, look, you know, well, I, I want to be a professional football player, but, you know, I want to get my career started first just in case it doesn't work out for me. So uh, I'll get my law degree, and then I will be partner in a law firm, and then I'm going to go to the NFL and try out. Yeah, well, I'm like At the age 45. of 35. Yeah, 30, yeah 35, 35, 37. 45. Yeah. yeah, everything will work out great. Uh, okay, Charlie. Yeah. I mean, but really, we're laughing. Right, but it's exactly the same thing. Yes, it is exactly the same. There, you know, some metaphors go awry. Some analogies are not perfect. This one does. This one does not. It's exactly yeah. the same thing. You're laughing at this this uh, hypothetical guy we're talking about if he were to think this way. But the reason why you're laughing is because you know that takes preparation. You have to imbibe it. You have to, you know, if you really want to compete. In the NFL, even if I shot at it, you've got to do it, you know, as soon as you're uh, 20. no longer sucking your mommy's teeth. That, <laughs> yeah. Then you start going. Right. Okay? Well, that's 20, 20 is old. 20 is old. Exactly yeah. right. No, you, you do it as soon as you're, uh, you're, you're weaned from your mama. Right. That's it. Uh, so we, we know that. But when it comes to birthing, they can do that anytime. Yeah. Okay, it's it, it's insane. Same thing with uh, studying, for that matter, right? If you want to get into a great college, if that's your mission, right? Uh, then, well, you should get good grades in the meantime. You don't just, you know, in, in midway through your senior year, you say, you know what? I feel like going to Stanford. Mm-hmm. And you've gotten, you know, C's and Well, and I, C I felt like going to Stanford. Oh, yeah. But that's, just, that's all that matters yeah. is feeling it. But, but I can do this, you know? How hard is this? That would be funny. <laughs> Apply for Stanford. So why should I let you in with your below C average, Mr. David? Well, I feel like it. <laughs> that's right. Oh, of course. I got to tell you. Come right on in. I really like it. I think it's such a pretty campus. I like your tree as a mascot. I like everything about it. And that band, mm, 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 they are fun. And I like how much money your graduates get paid <laughs> and when they graduate. Right. And I'm perfectly willing to pay the tuition. Yeah. Okay. No, it, no it, just, it doesn't work that way. you got to prep yourself. But when it comes to having children, it's like they can do it anytime. They can have yeah. it all. No, it is like the football thing. That's the best analogy possible. Yeah. Okay. So, so that's one example. So we live in this time where people just have to figure this out and they just... They don't understand how they're going over this cliff. The same thing that your lovely wife gave as, a, as an example is about uh, atheism. This notion that, you know, they're kind of looking back and saying, hmm, I guess we should have done it differently, right? That's what these, a lot of these women are saying who are 35, and they're looking back on their past and saying, gosh, maybe I should have started when I was 28 at the latest, right? Maybe. Uh, and, then, and they say, yeah, I wish I were 28. I, I'd be popping out babies by now. Uh, but they can't. So likewise, with parents who are atheists, they may have been raised in a religious home. They are infused with a sense of not only morality, but a sense of purpose, a connection to society, an understanding of the way society works and why things are the way they are. But they've gotten to their mind that there is no God for whatever reason, but they still agree with the notion that civilization needs structure. Yeah, it's better... In a civilization, to not have a bunch of people running around without a higher power above right. them, right. in general. But they grew up. They grew up with a yes. sense of a higher power, and now they've abandoned it. That's different than their children, not who having turn, it at all. And, and not only that, but these parents tell these children, "No, no, this God business. You'll have a lot of friends who believe in God. It's nonsense. It's like Santa Claus. Uh, it's whatever. Yeah, Easter Bunny and so they're forth. Just, they're just teenagers who still believe in the Easter Bunny, honey. It'll be fine. And they think it's dangerous to believe in God. Of in course. fact, they, because, you know, uh, 
that that somehow religious people are the ones who created all this evil in the world, which is right. total, total bunk. Uh, and then they, they, they advance this thing. And then they discover that these kids that they have don't have purpose in their lives. They don't. And the reason why is because they, unlike them, that the adults who had, uh, you know, before they had uh, atheism in their lives, they grew up in a certain way believing in the centrality of, of God and that there's the God's in charge of everything else. But now they've had children and they basically told them that there's nobody in charge. You know how, uh, what's the word, undermining that is to your very existence as a child? You know, if, if you were to see, I mean, it's like seeing a, a in the movie Saving Private Ryan. It's a great movie, right? Okay? You don't show it to a six-year-old. That movie, you will not show it to a six-year-old. That is child abuse. So it was a mistake for me to... <laughs> Look at the great American soldier. That was wrong. <laughs> it was wrong. I'm trying to say that officially on this podcast, that what you did with your children is wrong. Okay. Okay, no. Whoops. Well, Saving Private Ryan. And that's not even the nastiest film that you could see, right? But it's, it's a great movie. You know, and you can learn from it, and it means something to you when you're, you know, 16, right, and older. Yeah, that's that's to that, understand that's, how terrible war is and what it takes to win right. one. And but to, but to, bravery to, to and teach valor. a child atheism is not just like showing them Saving Private Ryan at six years old. It's like showing them The Exorcist and Halloween <laughs> and <laughs> Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah, Nightmare on Elm Street. Yeah. I, like, why would you do that to your child? It's, With the ring. <laughs> seven days. Remember? <laughs> I, I, anyway, the point is that would just forever torment them all their lives, right? I'm laughing because the idea is so preposterous. It's preposterous. It's such a bad idea. Right. It's like teaching them, hey, you know when I throw a ball, you know how I uh, tell you to always chase a ball into traffic? Right. You know, it's yeah, like, yeah. you don't say that. There's some things you, you do as a child, uh, sorry, that you do as an adult, you would never do as a child, and you would never encourage that. Um, you know, you, you certainly wouldn't, Encourage your child, a six-year-old, to, to watch pornography. That will <laughs> forever or drink alcohol. Yeah, that will forever not. alter their lives. Yes. Okay, but yet when it comes to atheism, they'll do that. Now, now, in, in defense of the atheist, they literally think that they're doing the right thing for the child, that they're yeah. pulling them away from this nonsense and fiction, and that it's better to tell them the reality of the world as opposed to the non-reality <laughs> that's you know fabricated by the Christians and the Jews. Okay, I get it, but. But you don't realize it. I'm telling you, your kids, atheist kids, sorry, kids of atheist parents who are being taught atheism, that's dangerous. Yeah. Okay? Because now, now you've reached that point, like you've said before, the echo is gone. Right. Of the of morality. And now you're raising a human being who forever will struggle with the notion that there's a higher power. Right. Forget the trite notion of, well, can I believe in God or not? You know, is Jesus real? Is God real? Whatever. Right. You know, is the Ten Commandments a real thing, a real story? No, you're talking about the 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 grounding morality itself. Right. And how many generations past them will that be gone? Assuming they have kids early enough. You know? Well, look, Ronald Reagan said uh, we are only one generation away from losing uh, all that sense of liberty and freedom that we have trained our kids to believe in, right? And, and he was 100% right. Likewise, when it comes to atheism, it might be two generations away, but it's definitely not a good thing. It's definitely not beyond two, two generations. And Ari just mentioned the echo thing, and this is a metaphor I came up with. You know, imagine yourself in a tunnel 
Uh, and, you know, as a kid, you used to say, echo, echo, right? And you would hear the echo. It's kind of cool. Uh, but in this case, it's not just the word echo. It's more like, uh, you know, God is necessary for civilization. God is yeah. necessary for God civilization. God is real. Putting God is power above God is, you before you is important. Anyway, so let me, let me repeat with the echo. God is necessary for civilization. God is necessary. And you say, it, and eventually it disappears, right? And that's the way it is uh, in that tunnel. You know, at some point, if I had said that it's in the tunnel, and I didn't hear him actually saying the first word, but I hear his echo, I say, okay, I understand that. Okay, God is necessary for civilization. That's Ari's voice. Yeah, okay, got it. Okay, but there's only one echo. You're only allowed one echo in this echo analogy. And the kids are not hearing any echo at this point. Yeah, because the, the only, original voice is gone. The echo is gone. The grandparents uh, had one echo, and that was for their kids. The kids heard the echo. And now the grandchildren don't have any echo at all. They don't know anything about God other than that it's a horrific institution that's created more murders and, and mayhem than anything else. Uh, and, and that they believe. And so and then they wonder why there's any purpose in life. And at the same time, they're told that the planet is going to be destroyed in 12 years by the year 2030. And, uh, or even, you know, even sooner for that matter. And they say, why should I do anything? Yeah. Right? There's no, what, what's the purpose of anything? This is the message of this podcast, my friends. You, you need to, to figure out why are things the way they are? What is the point of things? What are the messages that I can, can glean from all the facts surrounding me? Whether that is uh, the women who can, cannot have babies after 30 or 32, whatever. Whether that is uh, if socialism has ever worked in history. Whether that is uh, a world without God is somehow um, functional. You, you need to look around you. Look at the, the facts around you. You can't just say that those facts don't exist or create facts that you think are convenient for your own belief system. Either they are true or they are not true. And that is the problem that we have. And that in many ways is it reflects you know, what, what is happening to our culture. But we'll get back to God. You'll see. We'll get back there. And there'll be a realization of family values, uh, the need for children, the glory of God as well. Oh, my friends, thanks for listening. I'm Brock Lurie, and we'll talk with you next week.